isn't enough to tell us what a podcast is. You've got to tell us who the podcast hosts are. I'm Ryan. I'm Brennan. I'm Matthew. <laughs> and I'm Logan. <laughs> what is Today that? we're talking about Citizen Kane, starring Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, Dorothy Comingor, Everett Salon, Ray Collins, George, Co- George Colorus, and directed by... Orson Welles. We already introed ourselves. I'm sorry. Yeah, there was severe lag as soon as it came for my turn to say my name. <laughs> I had no idea what oh, was happening. Man. What a start. What a start sponsor to the us, pod. Zoom. Sponsor yes. <laughs> Seriously. Zoom um, should just sponsor every podcast at this point because they know we're all using it. Like, Yeah, exactly. It, it used to be a, it used to be a, all of us sitting around a table when we could. And then we, we were prepped for the pandemic with this podcast because we had been doing podcasts apart for about two years at this point. So yeah, yeah. we we were ready. We were ready. We were ready. We were just like, okay, now we just have to do it all this way instead of only on while we're at college. But so guys, we are reviewing Citizen Kane. I guess we should probably give a little background as to why. Um, why we, we have been ourselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why did I? Why was my genius like? You know what? Let's review Citizen Kane on the podcast. Let's put that much pressure on us. Um, so we've been reviewing David Fincher movies since August, with knowing that Mank was coming out this fall, and um, it was in my brilliance that I was like, you know what? Two of our hosts haven't seen Citizen Kane um, here, so we should probably watch and review citizen kane before we talk about mank which i'm sure is going to heavily take from the movie and everything i've heard from mank is that there's a lot of references in the filmmaking itself to this movie so i thought that it would be appropriate for us to put ourselves through reviewing citizen kane in the hell that this podcast is going to be um and and the the fa- the fact that uh yeah oh go ahead Brennan. oh i was just gonna say just a little preface we have also decided uh prior to this podcast that we are not going to really talk about the film like the actual like behind the scenes uh making of this and we are going to save that for mank uh i had some friend from a uh, friend of the show raven who is a uh our our history of uh of citizen kane consultant for uh for a little bit of the things that we'll be talking about on mank but we are going to stick to primarily talking about the movie today so just wanted to address that in case anyone was like man you know why aren't they talking about the history as much and that is because the entirety of the movie we are reviewing next is supposed to be all about that so hopefully that will come back on details so come back also we should say we should say that we are recording this on the Friday that Mank comes out on Netflix, um, but none of us have seen Mank yet. So this is all a fresh perspective. In terms of just We're just here talking about Citizen Kane, and we'll talk about all that other stuff on our Mank review sure. coming out on Friday. Um, so real quick, guys, do um, you want to give your backgrounds with Citizen Kane? Um, I know that this is probably more than most other movies that we talk about. Um, this, ha- this is a movie with you know a, at least a, a huge cultural impact. Yeah, I mean, in terms of background, like I I know who Orson Welles is. You know, I've I've you know, I'm familiar with like War of the Worlds and just some of that kind of cultural zeitgeist that he's sort of a part of. Um but and I like obviously, I've heard of Citizen Kane. I've like it, you know, people talk about it all the time. Um but I had no idea what it was really about like and you know i i had always said to myself it's it was on my letterboxed watch list forever um and i was like someday i'm gonna like sit down and watch citizen kane but i never felt like i was in the right headspace so this movie uh, or rather this podcast sort of forced me to kind of uh to buckle down and and actually 
watch it and just kind of like mentally throw myself uh, out of the frying pan and into the fire uh, to watch what is, you know, kind of widely considered to be the uh, like the greatest movie of all time. Um, which I, I want to talk about that later, um, but we'll get to that when we talk about like our thoughts and stuff. I'm sure we'll discuss every every nook and cranny of the discussion on this around this film. Love me a nook. Yeah, and cranny. We'll, we'll get into it for sure. Um, so I first saw this movie uh, ninth grade, I think. Um, you know, because like Brendan, I had heard so much about Kane, Citizen Kane. It's the great. It's so big. It's a gigantic movie. It's like ah, the Kane. So I watched it. Um, spoiler: I loved it. And then I had to watch it again, I think, for school at some point in high school. Um, so I'd seen it two times prior to this. But yeah, it is really a massive undertaking. And just to echo what Brendan was saying earlier about how we're going to focus on the film itself. I was thinking about this, you know, just going into the podcast, because I was initially going to do a bunch of research on it and whatnot. But I thought, I think this film, like, there, there are some canonical, like, cinematic masterpieces that people talk about that you watch and you're like okay i recognize the technical achievement i recognize this or that but this isn't really something i enjoyed like for me like seven samurai is an example like i i recognize like it's it's cool technical achievement but i would never watch it again but i think citizen kane is such an interesting film because at least for me and i know probably for floyd too i think this movie just as a movie completely divorced from whatever the history of it is and whatever technical achievements is so impressive and so interesting to watch so I'm very excited to talk about it just as a movie. And especially with a 2020 perspective, I think there's some really interesting insights. Yeah, kind of like Brendan, I'd always been kind of very intimidated by watching this movie. Um, and I just never really felt like I was, you know, I, I would really be into it. Um, and, you know, like Matt was saying, it, it I felt like I was going to think, you know, okay, very technically impressive, but I don't want to watch it again. I watched it for the first time yesterday. Um, and... I didn't take any notes because I was just so enthralled and I watched it again for the second time today and took notes this time. Um, this is completely not what I was expecting. Um, in turn, like it, it is very technically impressive, but it is also very enjoyable. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's not, it's not the kind of thing that we're going to have to be saying like, well, it was good for 1941. You know, like, this is a good movie. This is a good, good movie. Yeah, I'm glad that the two movies from the 40s that we we have reviewed so far has been Rope in this movie, because I think, like, regardless of any sort of historical context and innovation cinematically that we've talked about, that these both are just really excellent films. Um, super, super palatable to today's standards. And I think that, you know, I, I am a film student, uh, so I have seen this movie multiple times um been forced to it to study it in many different respects and um yeah like like you guys said a, a, a lot of this movie can feel like homework like it can feel like homework watching this movie and i know that a lot of people talk about that with this movie it's like oh i watched this as like an assignment you know and and for me that's how it was too like i've seen this movie three times now and um i've saw it twice for a class and i saw it once for this podcast so i've never just gone out of my way to watch this movie because i've had to watch it a couple times but, um, I mean, there's a reason that it's it's literally on every intro to film syllabus in film school or film analysis syllabus, that, that opening class that you take and you learn. Because this movie, as we'll get into, is so significant in terms of filmmaking. But like you guys said, it is also so entertaining. So, yeah, I, I watched this movie first when I was in 10th grade in a novels and film class. Um, 
and then I watched it again in that intro uh, course freshman year of college. So, yeah, and, and, and even then, like, even the courses that I was I was taking this year, um, during the pandemic, even we were still we still watched and talked about two separate scenes in Citizen Kane in this directing class because of how impactful they were and how visually efficient they are as well. So, so not only is this film pervasive in just critic and film criticism classes, this movie is also very pervasive in just the influences that it has on the filmmaking medium in general. So. Um, obviously this is a giant of a movie and, um, I'm very nervous and excited to be talking about it. So, um, Logan, do you want to give us the plot summary so we can attempt to talk about Citizen Kane? Yes. This plot summary comes to us from Zach H via IMDb. So thank you, Zach H. A group of reporters are trying to decipher the last word ever spoken by Charles Foster Kane, the millionaire newspaper tycoon, Rosebud. The film begins with a newsreel detailing Kane's life for the masses, and then from there we are shown flashbacks from Kane's life. As the reporter investigates further, the viewers see a display of a fascinating man's rise to fame and how he eventually fell off the top of the world. Okay, so um, we kind of got everyone's initial thoughts, but I kind of just want to just want to give. I know Brendan didn't really tease out whether or not he liked it, so we'll go around. Maybe me, Logan, and Matt will talk a little less because it's obvious that we like the movie, but. Uh, Brendan and everyone, initial thoughts on Citizen Kane. Um, I really like this movie. Um, you know, I, I along with uh, similarly to Logan, I was really enthralled watching it. I only got to watch it once before uh, we did this podcast. Um, that being said, I am really curious as to how it has maintained this sort of status as the greatest movie of all time um you know and i've heard that for like it was for i've heard that for a long time it wasn't just for this podcast that i heard people saying citizen kane is the best movie of all time and i was like you know oh like this is a film from uh 1941 and um i i really enjoy it and i think that there are a lot of aspects that are really timeless about it but i am i'm really interested in hearing um, all of your opinions, and uh, especially from Floyd, because you have looked at this from an academic perspective, um, exactly what about it kind of, you know, gives it that status. Um, so I, I'm hoping to learn uh, more than anything during this podcast. Thanks. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, Matt, go, yeah, Matt, Matt and Logan, I'd love to hear your initial thoughts just a little deeper. Yeah, so as I said, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, and I think that something, you know, Floyd, you touched on this, that really gets lost in so much of the academic studies of this, just the countless articles, journal, or essays that have been written about this movie, is that this is a damn entertaining film. And I think a lot of people get the impression, like we all talked about, that this is a big movie, and I'm kind of scared to watch it, I'm kind of scared to talk about it. And it's kind of been given this very esoteric quality. Which I think is a shame because I think this is I think this is a, absolutely a movie for everyone. I mean, I don't think you have to understand the technical history to love this movie. And just because I think it's so moving and just it's funny at times. Uh, the performances, for the most part, don't feel dated. Everything feels very it it, it it just it feels like a movie that did not come out in 1941. Every single time I watch it, it just I cannot wrap my head around the fact that it came out in that year. And thinking about other movies that I've seen from this time period that are just just miles away from the quality of this. It, it, it's remarkable. I think this is just an absolutely amazing movie with one of the greatest endings of all time. It gives me chills every single time I watch it. 
love it to death. Orson Welles, one of the, one of just like the coolest performances I've ever seen. It's it's just so many of amazing first and all times in this movie. Yeah, I love this movie from top to bottom. I can't like I literally can't think of a single thing about it that I would change. I um I the best thing that I'm that I can say about it, the best thing that I could say about any movie is that it is still giving me things to think about. I like I only watched it yesterday. But since then, I've just like every time I think of this movie, I just I'm like, "Oh yeah, there was that detail that was like really important and super like deeply metaphorical." And I just I love the fact that I can keep thinking about it and I can keep, um, you know, having these revelations about it. I think that that is going to continue. I like, um, you know, I, I like discussing movies after I've had a, a certain amount of time to sort of, uh, you know, let it marinate with me. I don't usually like to just, you know, watch a movie like an hour before the podcast. And, you know, I, I will if I have to, but I like to give it time because I like to see, you know, if, if I think about it more, where does it leave me? And, yeah, this is one. Just the more I think about it, the better it gets. And I th- I think that has to continue, you know, for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, uh, I feel like I, I gave my opening thoughts pretty well. I would say this is a five-star movie for me, uh, just to give a little spoiler as to what I'm going to give it. And there's not, there's, it, it's weird that we keep hit blo- going up against my, like, favorite movies of all times on this podcast, just kind of randomly. I mean, I am the scheduler, so it kind of makes sense that I schedule movies that I like. Um, but uh, I feel like there's we, we keep hitting my favorite movies. Um, so it seems like, oh, Ryan, you give out a ton of five-star and A-pluses. It's like, well, yeah, we're reviewing the, like, 40 that I like that much. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, yeah, no, this is – we'll get into all the details of it, but this is just an, an absolute – in in every sense of the word, this is a masterpiece of filmmaking, um, and it, it, it it's incredible. And I feel like it's for some reason I don't own this movie on Blu-ray, and I that needs to change. Like after we hang up on this call, um, thank God for HBO Max. Which uh, hey, if you come back, what? Oh no, yesterday at this point in the schedule, you would have heard us talk all about HBO Max, um, all the big news that just happened with that. So go back and listen to that movie journal episode, um. But uh, yeah, let's get into let's get into Citizen Kane proper, and there's so much to talk about. But I guess I want to start here. Um, kind of like Psycho, this movie has somewhat of a twist that is pretty famous, and I, I don't, it's more of a reveal than a twist. Going in, Logan and Brendan, did you know what Rosebud was? No, Brendan. Yeah, I didn't know either. Oh, that's great. Yeah, cool. it was. I, I was pleased that it, yeah. it wasn't. It hadn't been spoiled for me. I didn't know either. I had heard much talk about it, but I was in no way expecting for it to be spoiler the sled. Yeah, I f- I don't remember. I I know going into Psycho that I knew, but I don't remember whether or not I knew that Rosebud was a sled. Um, going into the first viewing of this film, but I feel it's one of those twists again that I'm like it feels like it's such a part of pop culture at this point that like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's not as much of in pop culture. Maybe this movie isn't quite as much, um, in that vein as the rest of, um, as the rest of those movies that I, that I think of, but okay. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that we start, um, you guys started off with, with that basis. So the opening of this movie, a lot of matte paintings, a lot of beautiful matte paintings. Um, and it starts with a no trespassing sign, 
and we slowly Which is just, go in on, on Xanadu. Can we just talk about the no trespassing sign? Because even mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, tiny very detail, it's very pretty. it makes so much sense. Because what we're about to do is we're about to trespass into this man's life. We're about yes. to get way yep. closer to mm-hmm. him than we would want anyone to see. And then at the end, it zooms back out to that to that gate, and it, uh, the, there's a no trespassing again. I think that's brilliant. The bookend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a brilliant opening image, and it, and it sets the tone immediately. And the beginning, th- this beginning, like, minute sequence of us going around these matte paintings of Xanadu, uh, which, again, look beautiful. Xanadu. Um, it, it, and, and mixed with the score, which I've got to say, Logan, I'm sure that you ate up this score. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. This Our is, man, um, Bernard tasty. Herman. Our man, Bernard Herman. Such a fucking tasty score he's got. This is, like, yep. this is another one of those those things like with psycho i don't know bernard herman always just seems to innovate whatever he does um and he these like low creepy woodwinds that he has at the beginning it perfectly sets the tone i i i think i knew that he had scored this but i kind of forgot about it Mm -hmm. um until i started watching it and i was like oh yeah all right here we go we got bernard herman there and it's a pretty like he was apparently pretty involved in the filmmaking process. Like he was sort of scoring it while the movie was being made rather than just like mm-hmm. getting it afterwards. Like he would sort of pitch a, a scene or a sequence to Orson Welles and then Orson Welles would shoot it based on that. And whenever you have that kind of relationship between a director and the composer, or even just like a director, like understanding the music that's going to be in the movie, you, you it's magic happens. Magic happens mm-hmm. and you get some kind of amazing synthesis yeah i i i have no notes for the score i would change i would i would not change any of the notes in the score i think it's yes. brilliant he was See, also, also given no i was just gonna say he was also given like a way longer period of time to compose yeah. the score as well it was like 12 weeks or something yeah uh, which is just like way with like outside of the normal bounds of what composers usually have when they're working on scores Yes. See also David Lynch and Angelo Badalamenti. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But Logan, Perfect and we have not even talked about the greatest Bernard Herrmann score. And it, what I would say is in the running for the greatest score of all time, which is in Taxi Driver, which hopefully I have heard today. that. Oh God, it's amazing. I listen to it like all the time. But yeah, Bernard Herrmann, love him. I actually have well. listened to that score before from your recommendation. Oh, nice. Right. It's, okay, great. it's great, but I don't know how it quite fits into the movie yet. Yeah. What are you talking about? We've done Taxi Driver. We reviewed Joker. Ah. Facts. <laughs> we, we, I do think that uh, for Killers of a, on the Flower Moon, I forget, is that the title? Whatever Scorsese's next movie for Apple TV+, Plus. whenever that comes out, we will, I think, do a, a, a Scorsese through the decades. Oh, and we'll fun. probably review Taxi Driver. Yes, um, because rewrite he, our he Yes, because he has taxi driver Joker. Yeah, he has um, movies from the '60s to the 2020s. Then, oh, if that's he does. sexy. So that'd be um, so that'd be a nice long series for us to do, um, <laughs> while not having to review 25 films to do his entire uh, fr- uh, filming that filmography. Jesus, I can't talk tonight. Um, but no, yeah, the one thing that I did want to point out about the score in the opening of this movie, occasionally, while this film is very entertaining, as we've said, that it is. It, at, at moments, it feels like a horror movie, doesn't it? In these moments, it feels it feels very creepy, and that is a mixture of castle. the yeah. yeah, the gothic very castle, ominous. the score, the black and white. I think attributes to that too, um, which uh, again at this time was a choice 
there was color uh there was technicolor by this oh, point it's, okay. it was still a pre- pretty novel concept but uh the adventures of robin hood in 37 was in technicolor the wizard of oz was in 39 so uh while expensive it was definitely an option um so making this in black and white was at least a financial decision if nothing else um but so we we get in there and we get into his bedroom and we just see we start right away with a close up of this big mustache whispering rosebud mm. dropping the snow the, uh, the snow globe that amazing shot based off of the snow globes reflecting of yeah. the doorway which is just chef's kiss Dang. amazing just tasty his arm um, just like I, and laying there. Then I made the connection between this and the last shot in the Mank trailer. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. it's an yes. illusion. Yeah, when he drops oh, yeah. the, the pills yeah, yeah. or the, the glass mm-hmm. or whatever. The bottle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure we will be talking about. I'm sure that most of the Mank podcast will be like, hey, that was a visual reference to that scene in Citizen yeah. Kane. Like, <laughs> um, but so I guess that brings us to another major person involved with this film. Another titan of the film industry that not many people know, and that is Greg Toland who was a cinematographer for this film oh. and he died much too young. I think, I think that this is probably my favorite and this probably isn't my favorite movie. This is probably my favorite shot movie. The cinematography in this film, Greg Toland is one of the great cinematographers. He died way too young and he at him and Orson Welles together did so many innovative things. And just, I feel like just off the bat, yeah, he died when he was 44 in 1948. Um, we can talk about all of the individual things as we're going, but I just want to point out right away that the cinematography by Greg Toland in this film is absolutely gorgeous and, and so innovative, as we'll get into, but just in terms of a visual look, it, this movie is so rich to look at, starting right on the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is uh, you know, not necessarily at this point in the story, but certainly later. Um, I Like, I know this film is in black and white, but th- this film does does probably the most with light and shadow that I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. It is amazing. I love how much they have people's faces in shadow. They have their whole figure in shadow. It like, it creates so much mystery and intrigue where, where it might not be there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I'll, I'll probably have more to say about that later, but it's just so brilliant. I, I love the cinematography. I love the way that it, fades in and out especially when we have uh like the interview with uh jedediah leland i think mm-hmm. leland yeah uh, there's some really cool uh crossfades there yeah I, I i love the cinematography totally agree yeah and and you, so you're bringing up the editing there we might as well talk about who the editor of this sure. movie is too is robert or ray wise not robert wise um or robert wise is <laughs> robert it robert wise, wise? Robert i always wise. get the two names it it's is robert ray wise. wise ray wise ray wise is oh, the actor good friend i was I always get them mixed up. It is Robert Wise, who is the director of West Side Story. Um, oh, yes, yes. An, another titan, another titan of the industry. So there Ray is Wise, so... meanwhile, is the actor from Twin Peaks and those Dr. Pepper commercials. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I got that Pepper wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but just That'll right away, one. these these three people, Wells, Toland, and Wise, are three of the key figures here and then a mankowitz like this movie is classic hollywood mm-hmm. in a nutshell um even though we can talk about what happened to orson wells i guess at some point too um this was the peak of his career being the first film but uh just yeah the editing the cinematography and the direction of this movie is just fantastic and we can see all of it right away in the, the first literally two minutes of this movie but so beyond that amazing shot we get we get the rosebud 
and it, it's planted right away. The the bud is planted right away in our mind. Um, what did you guys when when he whispered the word? Did you have an expectation of what this would be leading to? Did you have any inclination um, as to what it would be in this moment when he died? Did you did you recognize it as being important? I knew just from hearing people talk about the film that it was going to be important, but again, I didn't know what the actual, what it was actually naming. Yeah. 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 No, it's definitely, it, it, it is the thing that drives the film. And what I love so much about this film, uh, right away beyond the Rosebud sequence is right after the sequence, we get, again, I talk about exposition all the time on this podcast. Um, this movie brilliantly, lays out not only the entirety of what we are going to see, but just all of the exposition that we need to know going into the, mm-hmm. the actual movie through this newsreel, which is brilliant. The, so the, good. The, write, the writing that uh, Mankiewicz and Wells did, I guess we'll find out in Mank how much was Mankiewicz and how much was Wells. I'm assuming that that movie is going to take the position that most of it was Mankiewicz. Um, the idea of having the newsreel right after he dies to tell us the entire life story to feel super organic again. And then another beautiful scene in the, in terms of visuals in the um, screening room, which we can get to, but the actual, the actual recreation of the newsreel is amazing. And it's, it's so great to see all of this, um, to get all this information in this such compact and easy way to enjoy in these 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I loved it. Do you guys have any thoughts on this uh, newsreel? Well, yeah, I the... love that they commit to it. Like the mm-hmm. they they it lasts for so long that I remember the first time I saw the movie, I was like, "Did I miss something? Is this the entire <laughs> film? Like, are we just? It's going to yeah, be newsreel, like... old timey format." I love that they they completely commit to it, and it's a, it's a very like unconventional way to st- tell the story. We start off, the guy dies, here's his entire life, here's all his accomplishments in the public eye, and then we do the deep dive. And, right, and. And, and what's so brilliant about that is that just showing us the events that happened in his life, what the movie is saying is, that doesn't matter. Like the mm-hmm. quote that we use for our cold open, it isn't enough to tell us what a man did. You've got to tell us who he was. You, like, this is what that newsreel is saying. This is basically laying out the plot of the movie. So if all you were looking for is, what are the events that, that transpired in Charles, Fo- Charles, Fo- Charles Foster Kane's life, then you could just watch like the first five minutes of this movie and you can get it all. But, like, that's not what the movie is about. That's not what it's trying to say. I just think that yeah. the transition from the last scene into this and being such, like, a stark contrast is really, like, you know, it's it's just really interesting. It really sets the tone that we're kind of going to see so many different, like, styles of filmmaking packed into this movie. Yeah. Um, and I just think that, like starting out with like a death and then immediately going into this like really kind of jaunty like ah oh, it's a newsreel it's a news report here we go we're gonna talk about charles kane um xanadu uh, yeah. I, and xanadu um i i don't know i just Great. i think it's a really cool uh a really cool contrast to and, and start your movie spe- off with specifically whenever i see this movie it always blows my mind um, like in the newsreel, once we get towards the later end of his life, they have like these paparazzi shots of like a camera, like through a tree, like someone filming Kane in a wheelchair. Like I have never seen anything like that in 1940s mainstream yeah. Hollywood. Like that just like looks remarkably ahead of its time. Like that's how like a lot of movies are shot nowadays. That one scene just always blows my mind. I love the way it's mm-hmm. done. And beyond what all that, what you said is true. Another thing that I love about what this newsreel does for the film is it gives you the entirety of 
the movie. So you know his entire life through this 10 minutes. And then we can just drop in and out throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And that's another narrative genius thing that they did here in this movie is that no movie had ever been structured like this before. I mean, there had been framing devices before. But the ability that Mankiewicz and Wells wrote this this newsreel into the beginning of the movie tells you the entirety of the movie. And then they can literally just... When we're going to talk to Leland, we can drop into this scene at this time of his life. And, and the makeup is so good on Wells that you know when this when this scene is supposed to be based on what Wells looks like in um in the makeup. And and you can you know you can drop into this scene when he's forty um in this sequence and then pull back out and then drop into this scene when he's seventy and then pull back out and then drop into this scene when he's twenty four. Like it is impeccable on all ends. This newsreel sets that up, and then also for the the makeup team to be able to do that throughout the film in such a convincing way in 1941. The makeup on Wells in this movie looks so much better than makeup that I've seen even probably in the last ten years. That's yeah. Accurate. The makeup, the makeup in this movie is like I'm amazed at it. It's just there's like, and this is for everyone. Like it looks great on everyone. They like the aging of uh, Susan Alexander Kane and like mm-hmm. everyone like uh. Bernstein and his other uh, Thatcher, like yeah, and Leland, like Leland, they yeah, all look so good. good. And there's like one shot where it gets really close on Kane, on like old Kane, and you're like, oh, okay, that's like mm-hmm. pretty bad. But like other than that, <laughs> it's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's an, it's it's great, and I, I I it's these little things, Brendan, that I would say that are probably what makes it so significant. It's all of these things, it's all of these innovations wrapped into one movie that makes it this way. And it's, and like you said, Matt and, and Logan and everyone said, it's how damn entertaining this movie is at the same time of being all, all with all these innovations. Yeah. All this innovations in, in story structure, all these innovations in uh, cinematography that we'll get into in, uh, individual examples of, all these innovations in, in makeup. And it, it's just everything wrapped together in one that makes it so significant. That makes sense. Um, yeah. um, and yeah, speaking, and, and... I was, I was going to say, Logan, what you were talking about earlier with the, the playing of lights and shadows, I love like the most foremost example of it in this movie is right after the newsreel, we are introduced to this newspaper squad, but we never really fully see uh, this, uh, you know, Mr. I forget what his last name is, Thompson or something. We never really see his face or his entire figure. Which makes him this perfect kind of we his, like nameless like we don't know his first name this kind of invisible guide as we go through the movie and I love the way they do that they never like cheated out and like here's a full review of him and like because we're not supposed to be invested in him he's just like the guide for this one man's life he doesn't which matter the whole movie is about well he is uh, us well, we right? see like, we yeah. see Thompson at the end. He's yeah, but, but I like I, what I don't have an image in my head of Thompson at all. I have like I don't remember what he looked like. We barely get a photo an image of him because because he is us. So he's always yeah. you know he's always either facing away from us or you know he's heavily in shadow. He's just kind of asking the questions that lead these interesting mm-hmm. people to talk about Kane's life, and that's that's what's so magical about it. That's why like the um, the the no trespassing thing. Like that's why I think that's so profound. It's because we we are are him, and we are going to go into it and get this deep dive into Kane's life. I think, yeah, I, I, that's the example that I was thinking of. I love that moment. And I, there's, um, there's another moment later with shadows, but I think it means something kind of different, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, no, the, the lighting in this movie that you you guys are talking about and all that stuff is, it's gorgeous. And like the, the scene, I, I think you're right too about, um, 
about all how all these newspaper people are supposed to be be faceless and, and we go through so much of the movie and he is our guide in a lot of ways and yeah um he, he we never get to see him really in, in a in a full capacity we never get a scene with him really to get to know him as a person yeah um he's just in but, the scenes mm-hmm, exactly and he, he is our he is our guide he's our caretaker like you guys said and um so so one of the great my papa uh cinematic or cinematographer cinematographic i don't know words are hard words especially are tonight for some reason words are very hard for me give it up um, for Ryan for a podcast student, everyone yeah seriously <laughs> um but the scene after this i think it's one of the first i think he first goes to susan alexander this first time right and we get that amazing crane shot of going from wherever they are at the bottom i think it's just the base of a building going up and over the building over the sign that says susan alexander kane so it immediately tells us who we're going to see and then going down through the glass down onto the table that brendan that is one of the biggest just like holy shit moments of of history right there that shot the movement of that shot and and wells did this all the time in his career if you see the movie touch of evil there's an even way longer sequence of of really the birth of this kind of movement um i thought you were gonna say there's a really long shot of a birth and i was like that sounds that sounds uncomfortable innovation (laughs) no Uh, we did get that little bit of birth and adaptation though Um, i was not here for that not an image that i signed up for not not an image that i signed up for when i watched that movie but um but no yeah that's uh that that was that that shot right there of going up and over into the the um room using cranes like that that was a hugely innovative shot in terms of camp camera well and, so, and it's not just that it's also that every time we leave that building it also goes out the same way yeah oh. really yeah and apart from that it's just the mood that it evokes we've got mm-hmm. the rain dripping down the kind of the old poster of her face rain drenching on the windows as we enter in there's just very um gloomy and ominous mood it feels like you know he has died it feels like the world is in mourning everything is sad i love it Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and and she is in mourning when we get there which is which is something that i guess looking back on it is something we wouldn't necessarily assume that she would be in a drunken stupor after her um, ex-husband after he died yeah after her ex-husband died because of the way that they left things off but i think it, it really shows you um how much the film i think respects susan as a person um a little more than some of the other characters i think it, i think susan's actually much more complicated character even than maybe we get screen time for for her to understand and how she kind of just got you know as we'll see later she kind of just got inundated into this society and this uh this culture um this rich person culture and in the end it it, it damaged her and it hurt her in a lot of ways um sent her sent her into alcoholism uh, which is which is really sad, but I mean, she does run her own nightclub, which is you know that's cool for the time. A woman actually being able to own a business. Uh, I a guess. great performance that's... by this actress. Oh my god, she's so good, and she's barely she didn't do much. There, uh, there, Dorothy yeah. Cummingore. And she, and as and as the older Susan, there's not like that much screen time, but she just absolutely kills it. Um, and, and it's really a testament to the actors that they're able to take this old age makeup and not make it feel gimmicky through their performances because mm-hmm. they really yeah. just do it very well. 
Absolutely. And she, she, you know, she doesn't give him anything. She just wants to get drunk by herself, which is, um, too bad in term, understandable and too <laughs> bad. Relatable. Um, yeah. So she sends him or he goes next to, to Thatcher. Right. Um, and, and another thing that I want to talk about in this movie that is gorgeous is the production design. Yeah. This like lobby where, um, Thompson goes into to then go into that massive, stupidly oversized room with the massive Thatcher mural on the side. Um, A is gorgeous there, and then the light coming through, shining on the table when he walks through that doorway into the um, re- the area where he reads the the journal is just yeah. so gorgeous. Yeah. So many um, things in this movie are stupidly oversized. It's like, oh my god, you're just yeah. really pulling out all the tricks for this which, one. which is intentional though it, it's a super intentional choice yeah. made by wells and the production designer especially when um this is going ahead a little bit when we're in that first sequence that of of him reading through um thompson's or thatcher's memoirs everything like kane this is one scene that we talked about a ton um in in film in film school where Kane is standing around the desk, right? Where he he's finally having to, you know, give up part of his paper or whatever. He's losing a lot of money is the point. He's standing by the table with, I believe, Bernstein and Thatcher. Yeah. And he is he's taking up so much of the screen. He fills the screen in terms of his height. He starts to walk like in the in the the surroundings seem normal compared to that. And then the way that they are able to set up this camera and have the the what we'll talk about, the the deep focus, which is the main main thing that this movie innovated he walks all the way to the edge of the the frame and he is dwarfed by the the windows and the grandness of the set which is super intentional and it, it becomes even more clear once we get to the xanadu section at the end of the film but so much of this movie in terms of size is meant to initially make kane look big and then realize that kane is actually very small um but so the the first thing that we see though, which is which is the scene that people talk about because of this movie's innovation again with cinematography, um, is going back to 1871 when Kane's parents give him up. And this, this scene, man, this scene is not only fantastic in the acting by the parents and by Thatcher and by the kid who plays um, Kane, but long take long take deep focus is such a, a term that you will hear all the time if you go to film school because of this movie so it, it's a we get that shot again of the moving camera of charlie at that point because they call him charlie at that point playing in the in the snow with his rosebud sled as we'll come to know pulling all the way into the room while still keeping charlie in focus getting going all the way through the living room to down to the kitchen table with everyone from outside all the way up into the table in focus had never been done before. That was Greg Toland. Greg Toland and, and Orson Welles invented this this way of using an aperture, making it super small and pulling the camera way out to be able to have everything in a frame be in focus, which had never been done before. And again, these, these are the small kind of innovations that if you're just watching the movie, it, it's so easy to miss because... Literally, this is the way movies are made all the time now. This th- th- There's a reason why people talk about pre-Kane and post-Kane. is because this was the first modern movie. These are the things that we take for granted in filmic language, even if you don't... Even if you don't recognize, like, oh, 
everything in the background's in focus. It just, it looks crisp and it looks like movies that we watch today. And I think that's why a lot of people, um, in, when they go to film school, they watch this movie and they're like, okay, that was good. And then like, okay, that was good. Or, okay, I was bored or whatever, just thoughts on the movie in general. And then when the professor actually runs you through all of the things that this movie innovated, it's like, you only felt blah about this movie because of how much this influenced every other movie you've seen, hmm. you know? And, and I think this scene is, is super indicative, indicative of that, especially with, with not only with the cinematography, but then also the amazing performances and this, this sort of, uh, device used with introduced here, um, with the sled and eventually what we learned to be Rosebud. I think this is a really good scene. I love all the things that you were talking about. Cause I never would have picked up on that, but Am I am I the only one who was like a little confused of why this was happening? I from my understanding, like the parents came into a lot of money, so they sent the mine. kid away, or they the kid was being taken, or like was this a thing that happened? I guess they wanted him to grow up better than they could provide, while the gold mine kind of because I was reading about it, and it seemed like to me they found this gold mine realized that there was gold there but they would need a while to like set up production so they would like send him off with this rich dude uh to like train him to be a rich person and then when he was old enough and when he was 25 they would like take the i guess whatever he had like earned or whatever from the mine and give it to him so that he could be rich yeah Something like that? I, I don't know. I can't really wrap my head around it either. It's kind of confusing. But... I, I'm not really holding it as a... I'm not really holding it as a negative against the movie because, like, it. I figured that's just, like, something that used to happen that I don't get now. Yeah. What it says in the Wikipedia plot summary for the film, it says, Gold was discovered through a mining deed belonging to Kane's mother. She hired Thatcher to establish a trust that would provide for Kane's education and assume guardianship of him. Hmm. Yeah, but I think, you know, the reveal at the end of the scene is that one of the main motives for the mother is that apparently this is a very, the father is abusive, this is a toxic home environment, and she doesn't want him to grow up here. And can I just say, Agnes Moorhead, who is apparently the actress who plays the mother, this has got to be, like, one of the greatest, like, I'm on the screen for five minutes in this one scene and you're never going to see me again performances. Every time I see this movie, when she walks away from the window and she's just got that 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 cold face, like there is so much emotion there and so much ambiguity. Because even though at the end, like we kind of get that reveal, it seems like there's so many factors at play. Like she says, "I've had his bags packed for a week." Is that because she like is protective of him, or like maybe she really just wants this money? Maybe she's being greedy. I love the way she just silences the guy who's in the background, who although mm-hmm. is like apparently abusive, is just kind of like very weak and timid in the face of her. There's so many dynamics. I love her performance so much. Yeah, no, I agree. She's so good here, and in this scene. It, it, it lays the groundwork for so much of later of the film, too. And it it shows you here what he is being deprived of. And what I love about it so much is that he is just this kid playing out in the snow. And then, and then greed or money gets introduced into his life. You know, beyond the abuse that apparently his father was, was having on him. Which, again, it was 1871, so it was probably par for the course at the time. Makes sense. Um, the, the moment that wealth is discovered and that he is deemed to be wealthy was when he was robbed of the one thing that he needed in his life, which was a, a, a 
a mother figure, you know, or some someone to raise him. And a sled figure. Um in the sled, sled well, figure. And again, it, it's a metaphor. Well, but yeah, it's not it's not about the sled. It's, it's I think it's it's I think it's really about his mother. I think that's what it what the sled really means. It, it's it's that lost childhood with his mother that he should have cuz mm-hmm. he only had a mom for 8 years. Because well, then the movie taps into that later on with um, the opera singer, because she mentions how her mother wanted her to be an opera singer, and he's like trying mm-hmm. to like cultivate that in her. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's super important. Yeah, I I really love the shot of uh, the sled being covered in snow. You know, the snow is yeah. falling. We see the sled starting to be covered, and then it, and, and then it's covered, and like the fact not knowing what was coming the first time, I didn't pick up on this, but the second time I got that like. Okay, at that point in the movie, the sled's being covered by snow. That makes sense. Sleds are supposed to be in the snow. It's like, that's where the sled belongs, right? And then at the end, it's in the fire. Like, it's hot and cold. It's snow versus fire. Like, sleds aren't supposed to be in fire. They're supposed to be in the snow. And it's this, like, weird displacement by the end. Like, Cain was, he was robbed of his childhood. He was taken from, you know, where he belongs, where he needed to be. And, like... That's what I think. That's what that was all about. I think that's what the mm-hmm. we see it in the snow, and then we see it in the fire, and that is such a such a deep like understanding of what that like what it means, what this story means in terms of having Cain taken away from what he should have been, what he should have had. Like it's very very profound. I feel like it's a deep understanding of what childhood is. Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and what can be lost in that time also. Um, and then we, we cut forward 25 years or not 25 years, I guess 17 years to when, when Kane is 25. And this is the first time that we actually get introduced to Orson Welles as citizen, as Charles Foster Kane. And my God, we talked about this a little bit before. I think one of the most underappreciated things about this movie, they talk about this movie as, you know, one of the greatest movies of all times. This needs to be talked about as one of the best performances of all time. Like Orson Welles in this film I would put up against any other performance. He's so he damn is, charismatic. Yeah. He is so he but he's charismatic but he hits every scene. Yeah. Every emotion that Kane needs to hit in this movie from the suave sophist, you know, fuck you attitude of the 25-year-old to the the rage um when he like later in his life but also like the tender scene with uh Susan Alexander at first is like wells hits every single emotion exactly calibrated the way that he needed to and he is so fucking good in this movie yeah and the fact that go ahead i was gonna say he has one one of the best voices in cinema ever Mm. and two he just has the most impressive screen presence as soon as he's on screen i'm looking at him just the way that he his face you know he does these like sentences and he always looks confident when he's young and then he looks like he's joking with you and then he's doing this i love it so much he's great especially when he's young yeah it just feels Mm -hmm. like he understands where charles foster kane is at every stage of life he understands this character so deeply and like it, it's just so impressive because he plays such a wide range of ages and he gets them all exactly right. Like that's exactly what I would have wanted to see in all of them. Yeah, it's from 25 to what? Mid seventies. Yeah. It's insane. It's very yeah. clear that even, you know, being part of this and being the director and producer of this, that he like had his hand in everything, you know? Um, and it really like, it comes across in his performance. We can see how much like, he's invested into this character and 
um yeah I, I think it really pays off yeah like like individual lines that i just want to point out that he delivers so well is like you know i did lose a million dollars on this paper last year and i anticipate losing a million dollars this year and at this rate i'll have to sell this place in 60 years you know like just the, the way he just is so arrogant but also what i love about it is that that scene where he he has that big dinner right where he talks about all of the different um the paper numbers that he sold that he sold uh sold that day he's he's generally nice nice enough to the people around him he is not an asshole very often to most people like he's he's an asshole to uh susan alexander definitely by the end but like bernstein Bernstein feels like a character that in most interpretation or most directors and most actors would just have Bernstein be a punching bag and that would have like oh Kane's gonna walk all over Bernstein and insult him all the time but like Bernstein does the thing where you would normally anticipate in a comedy these days or in a comedic scene these days where he jumps out and like corrects him in terms of like oh not 865,000 like 865,124 like and he goes exactly right Leland like he just or not Leland Bernstein, like, he's just so warm at the same time in these scenes to these people. Again, this charisma that we're talking about, he is just such a pleasure to watch for the first, like, half an hour of this film, where he is just pure charisma. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's Wolf of Wall Street, which I got so much more this time, you know, because I... I, Wow, I've never thought of that before. Like, it, it is, this first, you know, hour or so is breakneck pace, fun, 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 and then it slows down and we get hit with consequences. And I guess you could say Bernstein is kind of like a Jonah Hill character. They're good friends. Obviously not to the excess of Wolf of Wall Street, but he's totally a Jordan Belfort-esque character. Yeah, we don't see Charles Foster Kane snore cocaine out of a stripper's ass crack. But yeah, that's we the do opening not. scene of this film. <laughs> Which does happen if you watch Wolf of Wall Street. Spoilers. Spoilers. Actually, not really. That's the first scene of the movie. Jesus Christ. It's the first time you see. That's the first time you see Jordan Belfort in yeah. that movie. Wow. There's a um, lot. There's a lot going that's on. That's a that's a hell of a movie. Um, but no, yeah. I'm trying to think of other other individual lines. I'm sure we'll get to them at, at certain points. But yeah, the, these these opening scenes when he's young, he is just he is so good. And I I love the the scene when he first walks into the Inquirer. Oh my God. And, I love when she walks uh, in. Everyone room. stands up, you know, Bernstein makes the mistake between him and Leland. And, um... The overlapping dialogue is great. The overlapping dialogue oh, the overlapping so dialogue. Good. In every scene, it's just so entertaining. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I love also how we just... It, another great thing about this movie, beyond... And again, this, this is why this movie is considered, I think, one of the greatest of all times, because it's all of this stuff in terms of Story structure, cinematography, editing, like I said, all of it, makeup, production, design. It has a very great story. It's entertaining. It has a great story with a lot of deep themes and messages about America. I mean, I think as we'll talk about, the initial name of this script by Mankiewicz was just American. Hmm. Oh, wow. I think that's a very apt thing because like he talks about in the movie he says you know when all the people when someone was like he's a socialist some people or a communist some then someone said he's a fascist and he goes no i'm an american you know like like he is he is an american like and and he is talked up to be a, a future president at some point like he the way he gets into the media here and the way he just doesn't really care about whether or not something's real or not, whether or not something is fully vetted, 
he cares about the salacious nature and selling papers. And I think that that for 1941, again, why this movie, well, I think we can talk, start talking about maybe how this movie ties to today in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah. This, the salacious nature Keep of done. some media outlets is, I mean, I'm sure it was a thing back then, but I, I, I have to imagine it's even worse today with cable news. Cause cable news didn't even exist at this point. Um, should we should we talk about i mean while it's on my mind should we just talk about the fact that this movie is almost a perfect allegory for donald trump yeah i I was gonna say that like it's it's hard to it's hard to dance around that topic but let's just name drop him it's donald trump like in in so many incredible it's it's incredibly prescient the moment when when he loses the election and they hold up the two papers it says says, claim wins or fraud at polls like it's one of the two options the the inquirer is going to give you one of them absolutely insane how that was predicted so well mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's it, it's scary we, to we watch deserve someone like we deserve someone like charles foster kane rather than the the eloquence of charles foster kane rather than the idiocy of donald trump well but. this was at a time when such when a sexual scandal like that could actually topple someone's career you know now think Republicans about everything are that, like it doesn't matter because we're fucking yes, dumb think about everything think about the tape that was Dip released shits. before the 20 a week before the 2016 election and, and yeah, how like much that, that with, did with the people campus. that he was going for that made him more popular yep exactly mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think there there are so many things. And another thing... Welcome back to Stop Weight Politics. That, <laughs> stop Weight Politics. I mean, I think this movie is fiercely political, so yeah, I think it's yeah, it fair to be talking about it. Um, no, I agree. Another thing, too, which is so, so bizarre about this the connection to Donald Trump with this movie, is there is a video of him talking about why he likes this movie. This is his favorite movie. And do you know really? the thing that he boiled it down to? What? He, at the very end of this review, look up Donald, like, you can look up the words on YouTube, Donald Trump movie review, Citizen Kane. There's Jesus. a three and a half review of, a three and a half minute review of Donald Trump reviewing this movie. I thought you were going to say three back and a half like hour, the, and I was like, I don't think that he could back in like here and thought for three and a half hours. No. Okay. It was super simplistic, but there was a lot of points in it. It, it is so amazingly self-aware of what happens later in Trump's life, you know, in the 12 years following, because he did this in 2008 where he, th- th- he makes a lot of interesting points about wealth and he makes a, lo- a lot of weird things that tie into his own life. But then at the end, he was like, you know what I think he did wrong? I think he chose the wrong woman. And I was like, Jesus, you know what? Oh yeah, my never- God. I-, I take back all of the things that I said, oh, they, they were super simplistic. You might be tapping into something that's bigger. Never mind, you're an asshole. Um, but no, in that video, he talks, about, he talks about like, how he's like, oh, you know, what's what's really sad about Citizen Kane, what I think is really true about Citizen Kane is that, like, all of this money, you know, that someone can have, it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill you. Like, it, it feels like, it was like, oh my god, tiny bit of a grasp, like, Donald Trump was a human at some point. Like, and it's just amazing that Trump, like, literally looked at this movie, diagnosed it towards himself in terms of, like, Yes, what he what what Wells is saying here, what Kane is going through, is probably something that I've gone through, like this little moment of of like humanity. And then he was like, "Oh, you know what? Fuck it. He chose the wrong woman." Like, ugh, God. Um, so I I um I encourage everyone to go and watch that that three and a half minute review of Citizen Kane by Donald Trump because it is fascinating. Yeah, oh, so man. much of this movie is just like when he's like alone by himself, and he at the end of the movie when he's alone and he. He's got like the he's old and he's got his hair and he's fat and he's like 
he's got basically just Trump posture. Like it's the same like <laughs> awkward like arms forward, stupid dumbass fucking posture that Trump has. The and it's like walks. he looks the same the way that he walks. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, I I heard someone describe that he walks like a centaur who doesn't have his hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's actually very that's really funny and very true. Yeah, so just always leaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, the, all the similarities in this movie. It, it's really insane. And just, like, the way that he talks about news and information. It's like, oh, they'll think whatever I want them to think. I can say whatever I yeah. want. Like, it doesn't matter if it's not true. I'll make it true with because I'm saying it as a headline, you know? It doesn't matter if I'm spewing misinformation because it, it'll be true since I'm the president. Like, it's just yep. this, it's just this attitude of, like, I can do whatever I want. And... You know, it, obviously it's true. Trump can do whatever he wants, apparently. Like, and d- mm-hmm. he doesn't really face any consequences for it until January 21st when he has, like, a million indictments against him and he's going to be locked up for eternity. But, you know. That'll be fun. Until then. Okay. That'll be a yeah. wonderful day. Yeah, I think... In the, the idea that he manipulated America into getting into the Spanish-American War... <laughs> is yep. something that's very interesting about this movie. Like, and it's kind of very quickly brushed aside. It's like, oh yeah, we got into the, you know, we wouldn't have the Panama Canal without Charles Foster Kane. It's like, yeah, we also wouldn't have had that war. Um, People died. Yeah. People like, died, Charles. Um, <laughs> one small scene that I want to get to, that I want to talk about, where you had that one line that Logan, you just mentioned, about people, people will believe what I want them to believe. Uh, another amazing thing about this movie is this montage sequence at the breakfast table oh my god uh, mm-hmm. one of the most efficient montages and best two minutes of cinema like like think about what that two minute sequence achieves it goes through their entire relationship Marriage story in so in many minutes. little in so many amazing little details they they start they're they're facing each other caddy at the table like she's at the one side he's at the corner they are so close to to each other they're obviously in love he's like you know what i'll not worry about the paper i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here until noon you know they have uh, not a lot around them and then slowly next time she's on the other side of the table the table keeps getting longer more and more things keep coming around them the attitudes slowly sour yeah um to the point where she is reading the chronicle and he is reading the inquirer mm, i didn't pick up this, on that yeah. this oh my god this this is another scene that i've had to study a lot this scene is perfect like this two minute montage is perfect go back and rewatch it i like seriously look at look at all of the little things that change every single time we whip pan there's it so is, much like there's so much delivered in this montage it's it's incredible so much changes yeah you get a lot and of the actress who plays his wife yeah. is great as well yeah. who bears a remarkable resemblance to our friend laura linney from the truman show huh. hmm. that's just what hmm. i thought yeah i never really thought about that <laughs> you get i think it's but, but another oh, i was just gonna say Go i think i think from like an acting perspective you get so much information just from these quick little like glances um you can really see like within the context of the scene work um the way that it kind of goes hand in hand with the filmmaking um, to show you exactly what you need to see, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point, Brian. That's, like, exactly what I'm saying. It's, like, it's all of these innovations on top of amazing story and amazing performances. Mm-hmm. And the one performance that we haven't really talked about yet at all um, is 
is probably like the supporting <laughs> Mr. Supporting Actor from the 40s and 50s, and that's Joseph Cotton. <laughs> and he is a, a he is so Cotton. fucking good in this movie. Um, I mean, I I think of him first, honestly. For um, I haven't seen the Third Man. I'm sure he's fantastic in that. I he think is. of him first first as um the guy from Shadow of a Doubt. The, the uncle from Shadow of a Doubt Hitchcock movie, which is, I know Matt's, not one of Matt's favorites, but it's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. I absolutely love him in that movie. And I think no matter your thoughts on the movie, Matt, you have to admit that Joseph Cotton is fantastic in Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, he was fine. Um, he's, oh my he's, God. He's also in Touch of Evil and The Magnificent Ambersons. He's great in everything. Mm. And I, I love his role in this movie. Because even I, one of my favorite like acting touches by him is... Um, in the very raucous party scene they have uh, before Kane leaves and he has all the girls come in, you have that's a great that, number too. That's so, yeah. such a great scene. So You've entertaining. Got Bernstein and Leland at the end of the table, and Bernstein is like, "Yes, yeah," and he's like, he's kind of rousing them on, and, and Leland's kind of just sitting there, you know, he's just kind of observing. The, and then at one point, he's like, "Do you think he actually, you know, like the men? These guys work for the Chronicle." They switch so easily to our paper. How do you know they're going to be loyal to us and our values? And he's kind of dubious of everything. He's an amazing character in here. I love the role he plays. Yeah, because he's he is just his friend from college. Like, he is not a fellow rich person. He is just a drama critic who just became friends with Charles at college. And I think that's one of the thing, main things that comes back to is, like, he doesn't actually... Um, buy into he's not part of this he's only here because he's he happened to be friends with charles and um i think maybe even as much as wells he nails all of these different time periods with leland Mm -hmm. like like to think that the person sitting in that wheelchair or sitting it's not i don't think it's a wheelchair just the old man sitting in that chair is the same actor as all of these other scenes with with leland is just incredible He's so good in this movie, and, and one of my fi- like like you said that scene at the the party is fantastic. I I know this is late in the film, but when he falls asleep writing the bad review of Susan, and yeah. then wakes up and is just like like just like obviously still drunk, but also hungover at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the, the the little nuances of his his performance are so good. Um, so so moving forward, I guess we can move forward from. Uh, from the journalism part and from when he's really young. Um, and another thing that I love about this movie is that, um, just a small thing, is that we, we get through that entire thing from, you know, the beginning of his marriage to the end of his marriage, but then we still go back into, like, see little moments in his marriage. Yeah. That, I think it's just so brilliant. And it, it's never confusing. We always know exactly where we are, mm-hmm. and we always know exactly what's happening. And I think that's great. And the scene... Um, that I want to talk about next, and, and forgive me if I'm jumping over any scene because it's hard to put this movie chronologically in terms of all of the different scenes because it jumps around so much. But um, if you want to go back to something, let me know. The scene at Madison Square Garden, or what's supposed to be Madison Square Garden, when it cuts from Leland with like 10 people around him with a little sign that says Kane for Governor sitting, standing in this car. Yeah. Perfect. Like, like... Oh my god, perfect cut from Leland on the stump to Kane and Citizen, or Kane and Citizen, Kane and Madison Square Garden (laughs) with the massive portrait behind him, his name, the booming commanding voice that we're talking about is probably, I don't know, I can't think of an edit that I enjoy more than that, that smash cut from Leland on the stump to Kane and Madison Square Garden. It's a very good one. 
I always, it's funny to me, I keep seeing pictures of that, like, that big picture of Kane, and I'm like, couldn't they have picked a better picture? Because <laughs> he kind of has this whole, like, <laughs> double chin thing going on. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's taking a poop. Um, but yeah. I, I, th- I still think that it's, it's a cool scene, and you're right, it's a, it's a very cool transition, but I, I think it's oh a like, funny picture of him. <laughs> you always believe that Kane has the ability to capture the imagination of hearts of all, of all these people because he captures our eyes and our attention immediately whenever he's on screen. So it's like, yeah, no, he wouldn't need a microphone. He's probably just shouting using his own voice. I have the image up on my wall over here, just uh, taped in a sort of collage. It's so beautiful. I can't. I don't know like what the size of this set was, but or how they manipulated that. It's not very big. With the, I know. I was going to say they probably manipulated the visuals with the camera. But it looks fucking massive. <laughs> it looks mm-hmm. like they're in Madison Square Garden for real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that god, yeah, that just I can't even put into words how my brain like cuz I forgot about this cut and then when I was rewatching it today, my brain just like I paused the movie and my brain just like exploded. It was that good. Like, oh my god, it's amazing. And then yeah, the actual like you said, he in this speech, you can see it's like he is a born politician. Like he should, he he like like they say he could have been president. It's one thing for like them to say he could have been president. It's another thing to show him being so charismatic and that performance by Wells being that good to actually make you believe like yeah he could have been president. Like of course he could have been president. Like yeah. he has the stuff. You got you got Moxie, kid. Uh, oh God! And that little the great moment where where his son waves to him waves to him and he just goes. You know, he just goes like that towards his son. Like, again, he's not this asshole of a person all the time. Like, like he is a... What I think is so great about this movie is that you... Sh- it shows him in a way that's like, obviously he is not a good person, but it's not just black and white evil, you know? Mm. It's like, it, again, I feel like if this movie was made today, again, he wouldn't acknowledge his son in the crowd. He wouldn't acknowledge Bernstein the way he does, you know? This movie it shows it as a much more complex person rather than just like, oh, evil businessman, politician. Donald Trump. You know, yeah, it, then Donald Trump, you know, <laughs> it, like, then, because, like, if this movie got remade today, it would very clearly be an allegory for Trump. Like, yeah. not, like, it would be so blatant that this would be an allegory for Trump that you wouldn't yeah. be able to do these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is why I don't think they should ever remake this movie. Um, of course not. Uh, of all movies to remake, please don't remake Citizen Kane. <laughs> Literally remake anything else. Can you imagine? I mean, like, they remade Ben-Hur and everyone was like, eh. Um, I forgot like, to that. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't, like, yeah. Morgan and, Freeman in that or something? I don't know. But they just remade Rebecca, which felt so gross, too. <laughs> I'm sure in the next couple of years there will be some kind of shitty, like, musical adaptation of Citizen Kane. Because they'll have cashed <laughs> out on all the other shit <laughs> that they can do. Ugh, musical version of this please that's, no that's where we're uh, at at this point old man kane right singing oh god i don't need that i don't no one needs that no one needs that i'm be creative i'm sure that you can write a, a musical that is not a musical of citizen kane that is not citizen um, kane the musical i that's probably already I, a thing what am i talking about i'm gonna google it while you guys I, keep I'm, talking i really hope it doesn't um already exist but i i mean honestly if we're talking about it i wouldn't be surprised if we get a remake of citizen kane in the next 10 years Ugh, i don't based, think they are, i don't think that is a, based on an allegory of trump i wouldn't be surprised yeah there's not be surprised there's a citizen kane musical it's i, I don't think <laughs> we're just gonna it's a good i think it's a joke musical but there is one i wonder we're gonna who roll would right be, past that and pretend it doesn't exist i wonder who would be legitimately qualified enough to like 
fill Orson Welles' shoes for this. Yeah, let's workshop here. What, um, as like a Broadway actor? Matthew Morris? No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> in, a, in a remake. In a remake. Um, oh, Probably Nick Cage. I love let's casting things. Nicholas no. Cage? Fuck no. <laughs> no. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Definitely not. What are you talking about? Nick Cage would do Jake great G- this. No, Jake Gyllenhaal could be Leland. Jake oh, Gyllenhaal Jake could be Leland. Like, you need he someone who's be. super charismatic and then is like an old fat man. Yeah. Adam like, Driver. Yeah. There, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no one who can fill these shoes. He does such a good no, job. No, I don't. Like, I don't think Adam Driver. Christian is Bale is dynamic, but he's he can't be that charismatic. Uh, yeah. No, he can't. I mean, I think Christian, I think Batman proved that. This um, was a mistake. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move <laughs> this on. Is so if, fun if, to if you think we'll if you think of someone time. who could play who could play Charles Foster Kane today, that's uh, that's gonna be it. all I think about for the rest of this episode. Great. If you come up with a good one, let us know. Mark Ruffalo, if anyone in our audience has one, hit us up. Uh, Robert Downey by Jr. email, twistedmugmedia at gmail dot com. Ah, yes. You know, I mean, I could see that he played Chaplin, so he could he can do historical figures. Yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Though, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I I could see that. Yeah. The He's a too old. Iron though. Man, Foster Kane. <laughs> I don't know if we. I don't know if because he would have to be young. Because I mean, I mean, Wells was what twenty five. Let's talk they about Citizen Kane. They made him I mean, young and Iron about Man. Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have to be someone pretty young. How about we do Miles Teller? No, I'm kidding. Um, he was just the first person Ooh. that in his mid twenties that I thought of. I like Miles Teller. All right, Citizen um, Kane. Yeah, but yeah. So, um, God, I'm trying to remember where we were. Okay, so we were just at the Madison Square Garden scene. Politics and downfall. Politic, yeah. This is this is the peak. This is this is the moment. This amazing speech, and then it's downhill the from here. Um. Oh, I guess here's one scene that we skipped over that I that I talked about that I love. Um. When he first meets Susan Alexander, like we said, um, Dorothy Comingor, so many, so good. Comingor, Comingor. I don't know how to say her name. Um. Never heard someone say it out loud. Um. But she is so good in this scene where they first meet, and when he like when it is so. And masculine too for him. I'm sure he's like a millionaire, what equivalent to a billionaire at this point, standing on a street corner, just covered in dirt, having this it's random not dirt, woman it's mud. just mud. Right, you're right. <laughs> Great catch. Um, with with mud all over his face, and he has to wipe it off, and she's laughing at him, disgrace. and she's like, "Oh, I have a toothache." Um, again, he could have been an, a, an absolute asshole to her here, but he was just a little offended, and then she was like, "Do you want hot water?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I want hot water." <laughs> yeah. Um, there's genuine attraction and like yes a relationship between the two and of course it devolves as time goes on and i you kind of get a, a hint at that once she says that my mother always wanted me to be a singer and then he mm-hmm. immediately latches onto that i think yeah the man's got some mommy issues obviously it's like um, when your relatives uh you say one time when you were 12 that you like motorcycles and then the only thing you get for christmas is motorcycle things until you're 26 <laughs> I feel Here's like that another... is a personal story that has happened. Yes. Motorcycle <laughs> teacup. Oh, um, thanks, Grandma. Really what cool. I like about this scene is that he could have also, like, come on really strong, like, sexually to her. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. don't feel like he does. Like, he he no. is just sort of interested in conversing and, and like, he wants to hear her sing. You and know? again, the charm he's, from he's, Wells in this scene. He's charming. It's not just like, oh, you fucking creepy old dude. You're just trying to get in this young woman's pants. It's like, no, he's... He's, you know, they're having. And a he's just talking talk. to her. Yeah, they're exactly. Yeah. They're just talking. At this point, he hasn't really done anything wrong, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he is as sexually active as Jordan Belfort. I mean, we we wouldn't maybe. know. I mean, no, yeah. they do talk about that. I mean, they say like the women. There were so many of them. Like you there know, were many. 
Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess maybe they just couldn't show that because of laws. Nineteen forty one. Yeah, because of the uh Hayes Code, yeah. But um, still, he's not like I wouldn't the movie doesn't really paint him as like an aggressive womanizer. Right. Yeah. No. No. Um and I also think the uh the idea of the age difference is probably less of a big deal on when was it supposed to be like nineteen ten, nineteen fifteen, somewhere in that area. Mm. Over a hundred years ago at this point than um Jesus. Than it would today. I feel like you would have to if you were doing this today, it would be it, it would feel much more predatory. Yeah, it would feel um, really saying she was twenty one she was twenty one, he's mid forties. And again, it doesn't for some reason, just the way the actors play it and the way Wells presented it, it doesn't feel like he is like being a predator in this scene. Right, and the, which... and back then it was like, oh, sixty-year-old Jimmy Stewart is with teenagers. This is fine. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. This is yeah. fine. And, totally. and honestly, like, it doesn't yeah. feel that bad because he's just a nice guy. It's not fine. <laughs> yeah, but yes, by by today's standards, it is not fine. But um, also cheating on your wife, also still by today's standards, not not ideal. Probably not. not probably not a very good. Not a good move. Not a good yeah, look. You know, it, it's it had. You know, if you have the happens. choice, don't. um, yeah. But um, but that scene though, after getting back to where we were, that scene where he is confronted by Gettys and his wife and um, boss, boss Gettys, yeah, boss, and um, what's what's her name, Susan. Um, <laughs> the the four of them in that scene. That scene is so good. Again, all of the acting all around. Whoever plays Gettys for that one scene, uh, Ray Collins is so good. Um, and yeah, yeah, that, that's a huge, that's, that's the end of his political career. Again, this is, I think this is actually 1916, if I remember correctly, when this is supposed to be 104 years ago at this point, it completely kills his political career. Very ominous that a hundred years later, it did not matter whatsoever. Um, but yeah, no, I love this scene. And then I love, um, what comes after it. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything, do you guys have anything to say about this confrontation scene where, uh, Norton, Emily Norton finally um, gives up on Kane when I, she finds out about this. I think it's interesting because we really see how much um, uh, uh, Dorothy Common Gore's character doesn't want to be a part of this. Um, like, yes. There is just so much resistance there. And she's like, I didn't even, like, I don't know what this is about. Like, I just, he was Like, she didn't realize me. the consequences of what she was doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she had no idea yeah, who, I, who yeah. he even was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's a great point. She was like, "Yeah, you said your name was Kane. You're a newspaper dude. Okay, like, I don't know who you are. Like, great, um, great. I don't know how performances. Who you are? I I don't. Okay, I feel like by this point she had to have known who Kane was if he was a major. If he was one of the two nominees for governor, mm-hmm. like, like he, you had to have known at that point. Like, oh, I'm sleeping with the person who's probably going to be governor. Like, um, and I think I think an under talked about uh thing within the movie too not even just in the discourse about the movie is that he like emily norton died two years after this with his son and they don't like, show it that never really gets they don't yeah. show it and they he, they never really talk about it the fact that his his little kid died yeah, and his, the, his fucking the, son is dead yeah like like and he was young in this scene he was probably like eight or nine years old when he died similar age emotional that toll. Was when he yeah, him. when he was taken away, that actually, you know what? That's probably exactly intentional. Yeah. Um, mm. But they don't even show him react to the news, which is like no, it's so interesting. But what's, but what's, what's so great about it? I think in terms of the performance is that this, you know, we after this time period, he is just a deeply sad person mm-hmm. yeah. and just a, a lost person even more than he was before. Right, and, and they um, they don't have to show it on screen for Wells to adapt it into his performance. He really makes it a part yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. 
so subtle it's so good yeah um, he becomes a damn rock yeah yeah he completely closes down and the moving forward when he when he is with susan then um i do love the scene where we talked about we joked about for this that borat is teaching um <laughs> susan alexander how to sing um which is a, a great comedic scene in its own right oh, wow. very um, funny scene i love when she's just like not getting the note at all he's like no yeah. you're not like, right oh, logan is that how untrained the director is yeah yeah yes yeah, <laughs> To an untrained ear, it didn't sound that bad. Like, I could tell when he would sing that that's, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. But, like, her voice itself doesn't sound that bad. And then when he sings, it's like, oh. It's like, oh, she's, like, really not hitting what she's supposed to be hitting, is she? Um, Right. It's like, I was like, oh, she's not that bad. She's actually good. And then I was like, oh, I'm just dumb, I guess. (laughs) I I just don't know what she's doing. No, I mean, I think Um, she's, I think she's not terrible. But there's, like, a note that she gets to and you're like, hmm? That's not, like, yeah. that's not it. At the opera house, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she must yeah, be yeah. several alto. times. But I think I think the the sequence a little bit later at the opera house, I think she's doing pretty well. Yeah, she's not yeah, and it, it, horrible there. And, and the, the like she's talented enough probably to be a pop singer these days, because you probably you, with autotune, you don't yeah, actually have exactly. to be that good at singing. You just have to have a good personality. Also, um, opera is such a specific thing, and she was it, it's so funny to me that they were like opera singer. Like, when the thing just said, like, singer. It's like, you could have just been, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, this was, the the year like was, like, singer. I was gonna say, you could have been a nightclub singer, this was, like, the 40s, Broadway was a thing. Just have her be on Broadway. Like, why does she need to be- Why a... did you go to the hardest version of singing? <laughs> I, sure, like, yeah, I mean, like, why did you go to the, like, the most specific style of singing that you could for someone that's, like, completely untrained? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking idea. that for- like it, I think it's the prestige of it, right? Like when the they prestige. Meet, yeah, I mean it is because he wants her to be like high society kind of. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I think the first time that she sings for him, uh, just in the parlor when they first meet, she's not that bad. She doesn't have she's an opera voice, but like she's not terrible, you know. I, and even yeah, and later, again, that's that's the thing. Like right? it's just that, that she's trying to sing talent. something that she can't really sing. Yeah, yeah. He takes the talent, and he blows it way out of proportion, and puts it in things that. That's just not built for. I was, I, my mom yeah. walked in to the, I was watching in the living room. I'm, I'm home right now for the holidays. And my mom uh, walked into the kitchen. No place like it. No place like it. Uh, my mom walked in while I was watching this scene. And I just loudly exclaimed to her, why is she just vocalizing? <laughs> I was like, I don't understand what she's trying to accomplish here. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I mean, it's, it's other, kind of a good other... analogy, though, because, you know, she's okay at singing, but that doesn't mean that she's going to be a perfect opera singer. She's going to be a good you opera might be, singer. Yeah. You, know, you might be kind of douchey, but a, a pretty good uh, reality TV host, but doesn't mean that you're going to make doesn't a good president. Doesn't mean you're going to be a good president. Uh. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I agree. <laughs> I get that reference. <laughs> um, but one other scene, actually, that I missed that I want us to talk about that I think is really good, right after um, this scene where they all are confronted the the scene that we mentioned briefly where he lost the election um yeah first of all great scene like great production design outside of the what was the inquirer offices and now is the campaign office um i i love that's that just just that 20 seconds or whatever of outside the, the office and then the scene between leland and um and kane is so good when he just walks in he's like i'm drunk 
I'm and, drunk. And, yeah. <laughs> and Joseph Cotton is so good in that scene. But again, the cinematography, what they did for that, I believe, if I remember correctly from, from, from a couple years ago when I really studied this movie, they actually cut out part of the floor and put the camera in the floor oh so God. that it could have that angle. That's awesome. Wow. Um, and it is just such a beautiful scene and it, in terms of the cinematography. And you just see, again, this this none of this that I'm talking about in terms of is my original thought. This is all film scholars over like the last 80 years. So I am merely a vessel at this point. None of this is original. <laughs> merely a vessel. Um, I am merely a vessel. Exactly, but all, like, like, the um, all of the Kane tapestry, like the Kane for Governor, just all just his failure surrounding him in every way possible at that moment, visually, again, is astoundingly good. And like, the dialogue, he comes in saying, "I'm drunk," and then later on, he's like, "Oh, did you need to get drunk to have this conversation?" But yeah. then, like, it caught and delivers something like very a very biting comment, and Orson's like, "Oh, you're not that drunk." Like, you would say this yeah. to me if you were sober. Yeah. It, it's great. Yeah. He realizes, like, no, A, Leland might just be an alcoholic, and B, this is just how Leland, like, this is just, Leland just needs to be drunk at this point. But it's you know? hilarious um, when he's like, I want to go to Chicago to do uh, film, or um, I want I want to go there to do crematism, crematism, criticism, I'm so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it feels like it feels like us doing this podcast yeah, and me specifically much. tripping over my words at all times except i'm sober mm-hmm. and that's what makes it sad but yeah no i just wanted to talk about that scene because i i think it's great is there is there anything else from that confrontation scene where leland leaves the picture basically no nope. that you guys wanted to talk about no yeah we are running super long on this podcast but i feel like it's warranted for citizen kane i believe so well look um, at us hour and a half used to be short by our standards true i know we we've really we cut down our time podcast. we've become much more succinct mm-hmm. yeah um which is good anyway yeah yeah i think it is good but i think there there are definitely certain movies that warrant longer conversations definitely. um there's definitely a lot to talk about in this movie but um yeah moving forward then <laughs> to the uh the scene where uh i love the moment where uh again i don't know exactly where this is in terms of the chronology of this sequence when they're pulling away in the in the in the car and they say are you going to be performing at you know the uh opera house or whatever and he goes and doesn't matter she won't she won't need me to but if i need to i'll build an opera house for her and then the next thing it says it's just a headline it says kane builds opera house like it is just amazing comedic uh editing and and shows the the hubris of 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 kane at this point in his life um and then just gets dark him for his hubris and his work is never yeah finished. yeah no, get, go ahead matt i was gonna say just things get very dark from here on out and you know kind of for the majority of the rest of the movie we're spending it in xanadu in this massive empty castle while like with that massive fireplace everything is just dominating these characters and they're just isolated mm-hmm. there by themselves just, just the empty open space of xanadu that he tries to fill with statues and the excess even when they go to like that jungle adventure trip and mm-hmm. like they're just inside these like very garish tents like constructed in the forest and they're having an argument everything is falling apart at this part at this point mm-hmm. And the first, the the time when she opens that opera house, one of the most iconic visuals in terms of li- we talked about lighting, the lighting on Kane's face while he's watching that, and then when he stands up and starts to clap, and he's the only person clapping. Oh my god, it's amazing! And it, and it, and it gave us the amazing um, 
influence for actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, which if you don't know what that is, go look it up. Um, I know what it is. It's a very funny skit. Um, hmm. and, and he does the same thing where Shia LaBeouf stands up and claps the same way. Um, I love Shia LaBeouf. Uh, big big Shia fans found a way to work Shia into the Citizen Kane podcast. Yes, wow. Hopefully, we'll um, be talking about him later in Pieces of a Woman. Yes, we'll also yes. be talking about um, him when they uh, remake Citizen Kane and he plays uh, Citizen Kane. <laughs> that would honestly, that's such batshit weird, crazy, uh, crazy casting that I would, I would be like, you know what? Let's give him a shot. This is worth, and the he remake. would, he would. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would give like him a that. shot. It's different I'd enough be that like, it could be worth it. Yeah, yeah. It'd just be like, this is going to be fucking weird. Like, let Charlie <laughs> Kaufman write the adaptation at that point and oh just be like, go f- just go full weird at that point. Um, get some get some random-ass filmmaker to do it. Oh, my yeah. God, that would be weird. Um, but uh, I, I got distracted there. Where were we? Oh, yeah, the, the scene in the in the opera house that that visual just of of him covered in darkness except for half of his face doing the clapping and then um his acting the, the like just the the subtleties of on his face when he is doing mm-hmm. it like his acting is so good i mean it, we see yeah. such a wide range of emotions yeah. in one moment and he never he doesn't have to use his voice at all yep. it's all physical yep it's all there um and Another fantastic scene. I feel like I'm just being so effusive in my praise for this movie, but I feel like it's warranted. Uh, when he goes back to the Inquirer and all of the people are there, like, huddled around, like, you know, did you get your positive review done? Yeah, I got my positive part of the review done. Did you get your positive part of the review done? And then it's like, who are we waiting on? Fuck. Leland. Ah. Um, <laughs> and then and then Kane walks in and that that awesome moment... It, it's such a great, it's a subtle choice, but it's such a great choice by Wells. But leave the camera there, let Kane walk into the room, room and then follow Bernstein. Mm-hmm. So that it's just, we don't know what's happening in there between, our, our imagination's going wild in terms of the conversation that Kane and Leland are having in that room about like, you know, the, the integrity of the review or whatever. And we walk in, we walk in with Bernstein and find just, Leland's just passed out drunk on the typewriter. Mm-hmm. And, again, another thing, another, uh, this is again him treating Bernstein in a way that would not be done today when he is having him read out the uh the review he's not being cruel to Bernstein mm-hmm. in any way which again is just something about Kane's character that I just find is, is super unique in terms of this relationship and Bernstein isn't um, even lying like there's nothing else written no. it's just Kane adding yeah. it yeah 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 oh my god that that moment where he pulls it out and you know, like you know what we're gonna finish the I'm gonna finish the review you know, this is this is the end of me and Leland's friendship, but I I owe him that he this should be you know what he intends it to be. Yeah, and it's and, one of those few moments where like at, at sometimes he really has no principles and he's fine with just like spreading a bunch of misinformation, but here he like he really just cares about doing you know putting the kind of review in there that that Leland would have wanted to be in there. Mm-hmm. It's like the last moment of their friendship. Yeah, he's like he's like this is. I respect Leland enough to finish what he would have done, um, despite everything and despite this being the end of our, you know, friendship. And I and I love another small moment later in that in that um, scene where she's all spread out with all the reviews and he's talking about it. You know, like, well, I can't control it. it's Leland. You know, he's my friend, but I don't control what he says. Um, she's, like, she's like, yes, you do. You are the 
she's like, yes, you do. You are the actual publisher of the Inquirer. But um, when she's like, you fired him. You fired him with a check for $25,000. That doesn't sound like firing him. And he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, I had to take care of him. He's my friend. Exactly. And then when he opens it up, it's so obvious what he's dumping out is the ripped up check for $25,000. And yeah. Yeah. it is just one of those little things in terms of like themes. It's like he tries to buy off the like, like Leland's just like, no, screw your money. Like, I don't want your money. Like, this is not about money. This is not why, like, like so much of Kane's life is just driven by money at this point. Also, the context in which he decides to keep that paper that has the declaration of principles is that what it is great anyway the concept the the context in which he decides to keep that is like i think this will be like cool to have someday for you know emotional purposes when he's president yeah exactly i think it'll be neat and then when he when he actually sends it to him it's like this is what you used to be like you used to have morals Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh and then the the obvious but amazing visual of him just tearing it up Mm. yeah of kane just tearing it up is no more so good principles are done yeah well again his son is dead by this point he is he is a shell of, a, of the person that he used to be in so many ways yeah. um and you, and you can see the unhappiness with susan at this point both of them in terms of her not wanting to actually be a singer in terms of their marriage in terms of her him not thinking suicide. that she yeah which she was definitely trying to commit suicide oh, right 100 percent. yeah 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 yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's I think that's definitely the case, and um, that's a great scene too. But um, okay, so moving forward, I'm trying to think of what scenes really are left. Um, all of the different puzzle scenes in Xanadu, I really enjoy. I think that that's probably where um, Kamingor is probably her best. Those scenes where she's just putting together the puzzle. He's like, "Why are you doing that?" She's like, "Why the fuck do you keep getting these um, fucking statues?" Like, just their interaction there is so good. Um, and, uh, another moment where he is eclipsed by what he, he fills the screen and then he walks over to the, uh, the fireplace and you see how massive the fireplace is compared to him. Um, I love some of the comedy where like, she'll just say something in this big room and he's like, huh? Just like, oh, yeah. Fucking whatever, man. Like, of course you can hear. There's an interesting detail I noticed in this montage and I don't know how, how you guys interpreted it, but the first time that I watched uh, her her puzzle completion montage, I thought, like, okay, this is one puzzle. She's doing it all at once. We're seeing it, like, fade out. It's either... I, I don't know if it's maybe different puzzles that she's doing on different occasions or if it's just the same puzzle that she's putting together really slowly, but they're on different occasions because I noticed she's wearing different um, bracelets and rings in each shot mm-hmm. that we see her doing the puzzle in. I think that it's the same puzzle and she's just slowly putting it together in the same way that we're slowly putting together like the character of Charles Kane. I, that's my I've interpretation. That I don't know if you guys noticed that detail. What do you guys think it means? I didn't. That's a really interesting uh, thing to, to catch though. I mean, we, we get the line later on from Thompson, you know, um, maybe Rosebud was just a piece of the puzzle or something to that mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's great. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of other specific scenes other than that suicide. Um, I mean, the freakout scene. I feel like we the, I mean, uh, I meant before the last, yeah, the freakout scene. Um, yeah, I guess let's talk about that. That is an amazing... Well, they go camping at one point. Camping. Mm-hmm. They just, like, stay in a tent yeah. with a bunch of people. 
Glamping. Yeah. Yeah. They go glamping. Is that, and I is actually that still I had a question about Xanadu? No. no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. It was on some other property. Maybe. Before, yeah. Before. I don't know. Which again, Xanadu, another parallel to Trump, built a mansion like Mar-a-Lago in Florida. It's true. Kind of, yeah, in Florida. Yep. Yeah. Damn. Very true. Um, um, but yeah, a there, stupid name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's a part where um, Kane uh, hits Susan, and yeah, mm-hmm. at the same time they're like off-screen screaming yeah screams from a woman i don't know yeah. what's supposed never to be explained going on there. that's great though i mean it's similar to the random uh shot of like that bird like screeching yeah. really loudly which just like which terrified me the first time i saw the movie yeah mm-hmm. it's like i don't what okay okay i don't understand either contributes to a great mood yeah um no, I, I love this whole decline that's happening yeah. in, in Charles Foster King's life, and just the scenes are getting longer. Everything's more drawn out. Which, and Matt, like I, said, I mean, who, who gives a fucking shit how long a scene is? Drives me exactly. nuts. Who? It, it just. God damn it! <laughs> some of these, some of these scenes are just um, like like they're they're slow and they're very methodical, but it never feels boring to me. And it just mm-hmm. re- it leads to this great culmination, like one of the greatest fre- freak out. I'm gonna destroy a room scenes ever. I would oh, throw yeah. Leo scene the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood up there too. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Burst yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. Yeah. Um. But uh, awesome. no, I lo- yeah. This this moment where he where he goes nuts. But the thing that I love about it that's so good in this in the performance too is he just stops dead when he sees the um. When he sees the snow globe, mm-hmm. and well, just the, puts it in his great. pocket and just walks out. It's like he's falling into these objects more than he is actually picking them up and throwing them on the ground. The way he just stumbles about as if he's just, like, raging drunk. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's incredible. Um, just gotta yeet it. Gotta yeet it. Yeah. Probably how after, Trump would do it this... without real control of his faculties and just sort of wildly flailing <laughs> about. Probably. Yeah. That's how he goes he on his daily. He would not. Yeah, I was going to say, he can't walk down a ramp. I don't think he'd be agile <laughs> enough to actually destroy this room. He, would he has to use two hands to drink a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> we're all doing it on this. We're all miming. We're all doing it. We realize none of you can see that. <laughs> this was this was a joke purely for the four of us yep. on this call. Yep. We all um, of us have taken our various beverages and are drinking them with two hands. And it's it's all funny. It's, it's all, really all hysterical. Wish all you could have been here. Um, wish you were here. Sign <laughs> <laughs> Talk podcast. I guess I guess we, we do record this in terms of the Zoom calls. I guess we could just we could post release these on this YouTube. as a video clip. We could. We could. We could. Okay, we well, so yeah, can toy around the idea of a YouTube channel. We should just say fucking it. We have videos. I mean, we do YouTube have a YouTube channel. It with exists. Videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm involved one day. Our gaming yeah, channel coming soon. will be streaming Among Us. Uh. It'll be really fun. Good At time. some point. Face At reveal of 300. We need them. to buy a, exactly. an Elgato. Um, but, uh, yeah, after that, after that scene, we really just get the more of Thompson. And, um, you know, all the talk about, like, how can you ever really know a man? Do you ever really know a man because of one word? Can one word ever really describe? <laughs> oh, it's I love sled. that shit. Now it's in the fire. <laughs> That's got to be, like, my two favorite scenes are the, the scene with the bomb in the beginning and we first introduced to the sled and young Kane. And this sequence at the end where it's just the newspaper people just talking about, like, did you solve it? I don't know. Can you sum up a man's words in one article, in, in, one, in one story? And it's just, like, they're all, like, 
just contemplating how they can do this. I love movies that talk about like a figure, a person in such like mysterious terms. It's like the first half of Apocalypse Now when it's like, who is Kurtz? Who is Marlon Brando? Like, I love that type of theme. And it's so amazing. And they're just kind of summing up everything. It's like, maybe Rosebud was just another piece in the puzzle. Like, maybe we'll never know. Mm-hmm. And then and then yeah. we get the fucking reveal. Mm-hmm. But they'll never know. Which is a shot. Fire. Did it did this shot look familiar to you? Because it is the exact shot of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark that Steven Spielberg. I was literally gonna say the fucking like all just the rows of like artifacts is like completely mm-hmm. fucking Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're taking the Ark of the Covenant back into the archives. This shot is an that shot is an exact reference to this shot. Uh, it belongs in a museum. That. So the way they shot this whole thing, was that like a wire that they had the camera on? I, I don't know how specifically they did I was watching it and shot. I was like, I'm oh, a... this is like a drone or something. And I was like, wait, Hold on. 1941. <laughs> what I'm assuming they did is they, what I'm assuming that this shot is and what Xanadu is with all this shit in it, I'm assuming it's just a way, it's one of the, one of the, you know, big sets on a, on a lot, mm. like on the Warner lot or wherever they shot this. I'm assuming this is just a, a huge like set that they just built through all the yeah a prop warehouse, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming there was probably rafters, and they probably just ran a camera mm-hmm. along a rafter. Um, it looks great. I would assume it looks fantastic, and the way it just settles on the um, the way it just settles on the the uh, the sled, and we get that awesome you know fade cut in. Um, yeah, but what did you guys it. think about that? Like Brendan and Logan, especially like being your first time, like. It is the sled, Rosebud. That was the name of the sled. Like, was that shocking? It was shocking for me. I mean, it, it was... made sense to me. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was expecting it to be the sled, but I, it made sense to me. It made. I, at no point did I really buy into like, oh, it's a person from his past. One of these yeah. characters is gonna be Rosebud, or Rosebud is like a story that he worked on for the newspaper, or like a stock that he held. Like, I knew that it wasn't gonna be something like that. I knew it was gonna be something that kind of. You know, it represented something else. It wasn't just going to be like, oh, okay, it was his nickname for his first wife. All right. <laughs> you know, not going to be I mean, anything simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, the, it's, I I was surprised, but at the same time, it, it made sense to me as well. Um, you know, it, it really is just like the physical manifestation of, you know, the what is arguably the happiest part of his life um was just mm-hmm. being a kid and like running around with a sled um and i mean we get this like it's just so all-encompassing that it like it finally everything falls into place that you're just like oh like that was really the only time when he was truly happy was was when he was just a little kid with his sled i think that's interesting yeah and the bleakness of it always like just hits me hard. It, like, like the we see black that it's rosebud, and then it's yeah, yeah, and then it's fucking burning, and that score kicks in, and then it's just the suit, just the smoke flying just up the, into the air, and then like and then on the all over. black sky, and like you can like the oh. ah, that's yeah. And the first it's, time it's it's doesn't it give you anxiety about death. Yeah, <laughs> the only cure we don't look forward to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I. I didn't like the score at first with this part, this specific part. I thought it was too, like, dramatic. I thought it felt too villainous and, like, sure. in your face. And, like, it, it felt very sinister when we see the sled. And I'm like, why is this? Like, this is, like, a nice childhood memory of his. But I think overall what it does is it it demonstrates that, it demonstrates that like, this is not just, like, 
it, it's his childhood. It's like the literal slashing and burning of his childhood. And it's, it is very violent. Mm-hmm. And I love that that, um, like that sinister feeling just continues as we, you know, go outside the house and we just, we back up and back up and we're, we're leaving again. And then we see the no trespassing sign again after we've mm-hmm. just trespassed. And the end. Um, yeah, I think it's, I'm surprised that nothing, again, I'm surprised that I never came back to a son in any way. Hmm. Um, but I do think it makes sense and it makes sense thematically. And then it makes sense on rewatch how, wells focused on the the sled in that scene and how that sled was was such an integral part of that like five minute sequence so yeah i think it makes sense and again yeah it goes back to like the whole thing that uh um mary trump says about donald again too the amazing parallels of donald is that like his his father was abusive and he didn't have a mother figure and he's like perpetually stuck as like that 12 year old mind Mm -hmm. and like Again, the, the parallels it, to the point where I'm pretty sure there's a documentary that came out this year called Citizen Trump that just lays out all the parallels between Donald Trump and, and Citizen Kane. <laughs> I haven't watched it, but or even really looked into it. But um, I think I heard about that happening. But um, yeah, guys, is there anything else? Huh. I, I'm sure we missed something, um, despite the fact that we were talking for an hour and 40 minutes on this one. I'm sure we missed something. Uh, but is there anything else in Citizen Kane that you want to discuss before we go to final thoughts and ratings? Not really. All right. No. Then let's do it. Brennan, final thoughts and ratings. Uh, yeah, this movie is fantastic. And it just explores so many different themes. Um, it is so all-encompassing of this idea of, like, the American dream. Um, and, you know, it, it's like this could, this could only, like, happen in America. It's it's really specific um you know, especially looking back at the time period this is from, uh, it is just a complete, like, masterpiece when it comes to filmmaking. Um, and I feel like I really understand better now why this is heralded as the greatest movie of all time. Um, I'm gonna give it an A+. plus. I, I feel like that's a no-brainer. Um, but it, like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch Mank and, uh, and, you know, talk about that as well, because I feel like, uh, you know this movie is so interesting um so there has to like the story behind the making of it has to be incredible too um so yeah a plus for me yeah it's it's a great movie i'm so glad that we all liked it this this is really really good and i think it's a testament to that this movie although being made over 60 years ago it still holds up yeah, 80 years ago. It still holds up. It is so entertaining to watch. And we didn't even get into all the minute details that you can find online about uh, the history and the technical achievements. Um, just on all fronts, everyone delivers. All the actors are amazing. You don't get any of those very um, you know, caricature-like old 1940s performances. Everything feels very real, very genuine. Orson Welles is absolutely spellbinding in this role both as young and both as old uh citizen kane it's absolutely amazing to see um visually this movie is stunning um it it, with its usage of shadows it feels almost like noirish at times but is very much so its own thing and that like more than anything this movie feels very very unique and even though it's definitely been riffed off of and uh influence a lot of movies that have come out in our lifetime it feels just completely original and i don't think it's lost any of its luster frankly um it's deeply emotional the ending hits me every single time it's it's an a plus for me as well absolutely um i i think it is 
um, the rare movie that is lauded so much in 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 the film world and is in reality that good. And I I don't think you can you know ever objectively say that one movie is the greatest movie of all time. But certainly for me, this is one of my favorites of all time. And you can certainly say that technically in what he does with the story here, like that had not been done before. And that is a huge achievement on its own. So an absolutely fantastic film. Yeah, I, <laughs> there's so much that's great to talk about here. And I think this is, it's been a long podcast, but it's not been a wasted podcast because there's truly just so much to talk about. It's such a prescient movie. Uh, it had such a, a good sense of what could happen with a, with a, you know, political figure, a public figure. It just has such a wondrous score, and it so perfectly sets the tone. The scene where he loses the rosebud sled, and he has to move, and then he gets it like this shiny new sled from Thatcher uh, for Christmas. That's what this movie is about. Like, it's not about like the money and the superficial things that he has, all the statues that he was buying. Like, it's about the the humanity of a person, and this framing device of like the newsreel that we see at the beginning, that really scared me at first. That newsreel scared me. I was like, oh no, what is going on here? This is not going to be good. But then it totally was and entirely fit a purpose. It's so brilliant in so many ways. And it's just the perfect blend of like technical execution and pure entertainment. Um, so a little while ago, uh, I gave The Fall, which was Matt's pick uh, for, for a for a just a host picked round. I gave that an A+. It was my first time seeing it. Then I gave, or maybe this was before, then I gave Alien an A+. It was another one of Matt's favorite movies. <laughs> and I, I also gave it an A+, because I just I, I just really liked it on first viewing. And since then, I, I've implemented a rule for myself to to keep myself grounded, keep myself limited. I, I don't give movies an A+, or five stars, or anything like that, the first time I watch it. And... I don't think that for those two films, it was a mistake because I think those do hold up as A pluses, but I, I've kept that as a rule for myself that if I want to give it an A plus, it has to be the second time because I need to be able to really think about it and sit with it. I'm glad that I watched Citizen Kane twice because this is undoubtedly an A plus and I, I enjoy it so much more after the second time. Um, yeah, this is such a phenomenal film. I was really worried that I was going to have some issue with it and be like, it it doesn't hold up. It's not it's not everything that people are saying that it is. It it has so much pressure on it. The society and everyone who's ever reviewed a film has ever put on it by being like, yeah, Citizen Kane is like the gold standard. If you don't think a movie's that good, you say it's no Citizen Kane, right? But mm-hmm. it's just it holds up. It holds up to all that pressure, and we put so much pressure on. It. So yes, Citizen Kane. I'm glad I watched you twice because I can properly give you an A plus. Okay, so um, for being John Malkovich a few weeks ago, we all gave the same letter grade, and we were talking about how long it would take for us to all give the same letter grade to a movie again. And guys, we all are giving a, an A-plus to Citizen Kane. This is a first. Um, this is the first time we've ever had a five-star review on Letterboxd, because all of our average is the same, and it's five stars. Um, yeah, absolutely, this movie's an A-plus for me. Um, oh, did we do this all before? Did we do an all A-plus episode before? Uh, no, we haven't, but we've had three A-pluses and one A, and we've had two A-pluses and two A's before, and I rounded up to five. But I see. Uh, you're right. Gotcha. This is the first true A-plus. This is the first true A-plus where every single person on the podcast gave it an A-plus, and, and what a movie for it to be that. Um, I think it definitely Honestly. deserves it. Um, 
But, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, and everyone for the past 80 years have talked about it. The performances, the cinematography, the editing, the production design, the matte painting, the makeup, everything together, all of it is A+. There is nothing that is not A-plus in this movie. It is it is perfect from top to bottom. I have no complaints about this movie. Orson Welles delivers one of the performances for the ages, and Joseph Cotton is merely fantastic as um, as Leland, so it's so easy to forget about him because he is merely fantastic and not one of the great performances of all time. Uh, I guess we can talk about it some other time, but, you know... Um, this was the peak of Wells' career. He kind of did fall from here, um, but I mean, this this is probably this is probably the best first movie I can think of in someone's career. I can't think of. I mean, maybe Get Out is only the the mo- only movie I can think of that even gets anywhere close um, in terms of a debut. I know that Matt's shaking his head because he doesn't like Get Out very much, but um, it's definitely not as um, innovative in terms of uh, filmmaking because no movie is. But, uh, yeah, this movie, it, it, it's a landmark film for all the reasons that we talked about and so many more that we didn't get to talk about. Logan, you were saying, you know, it's a long podcast and it was warranted. Um, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. I feel like we did a decent job for what we could do in a two-hour podcast. But, yeah, no, this is this is an absolute, absolutely an A+. Uh, wish we would have gotten more of Greg Tullin's work. Um, died way too young. Such beautiful cinematography, such beautiful lighting in this movie, as we talked about. Um, I love it. This is definitely in my top twenty all time. Probably in my top ten all time. I absolutely love it. It's an A plus, no question. Yeah. Um, love it. We did it. All A plus movie. I don't. Again, okay. Here's something. I don't know the next time we are all gonna give a movie an A plus. Like I don't know if that will ever happen again. I don't think that will ever happen again. Probably not. Mm, that's. Maybe. Pretty I mean, incredible. maybe come Christmas time. I don't know. We have some things in store. Um, I think maybe let's talk about what we have in I store. I think on Christmas Day we we may get one. <laughs> we may we may get a universal A plus for a different reason. Um, a, a universal must watch for another reason. Um, so um, there's been a lot of pods on the the feed for the past couple days. Go back and listen to all of those. A review of Eternal Sunshine, Back in Style, Missing Pieces. You know our movie journal on HBO Max. Um, and also, um, our mini-sode, I forget if that's out now or if that will be out tomorrow, announcing our picks. Um, but if it is out tomorrow, then you're gonna, I guess we're spoiling it now. Go and listen to that review instead. Um, but, so coming up after this, we are going to be going into our holiday picks, which we are starting with Brendan's, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Then we're going to Matt's controversial pick, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, whether or not it's a Christmas movie, but we're going with it. Um, very... Very excited for it. Um, and then we're going into Logan's pick, Home Alone, and my pick, uh, the holiday special, Star Wars holiday special, on Christmas Day. Um, all of those pods will be coming out before before uh, to on Christmas Day, um, on top of Mank as well, um, which is coming out on Friday. So we have five reviews, um, five more reviews before Christmas Day. So we are really loading you up on the holiday season on reviews. Very excited to be doing all of those. And then shortly after that, as a little teaser for... Um, I mean, we're recording, you already can go back and listen to it, we're recording it right after this, the HBO Max um, craziness on uh, January 4th, as of now, is our planned date, we will be talking about Wonder Woman 1984, which is the first blockbuster that we are able to talk about in a quite a long time, guys. We've we've had a nice 2020 where we've just been talking about a lot of random movies, and now we have to go back and talk about the DC Universe again. Um, Yes. 
<laughs> but so we'll be doing that and then we'll be eventually getting back to Kaufman after that. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot coming down the pipe and uh, we're really excited to be doing all of these podcasts. Can't wait to pipe. Yeah, and we also have some other shows on the feed. This is, of course, our flagship show, but you can also check out the CTP Movie Journal, the miscellaneous short-form movie podcast featuring the best-of list, Stop Wait What, our improv comedy advice show, Back in Style, our newcomer-friendly episodic review of Twin Peaks, Twisted Mug Mysteries, your one-stop shop for everything spooky and occult, Octo Island, our extended universe Star Wars podcast series, and I Might Play That, our video game review podcast. You can also check us out on social media at Twisted Mug Media. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram. We use Instagram a little bit more, but maybe if you follow us on Twitter, we'll uh, start posting more on there. Um, you can also email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Uh, we love to get suggestions for things, uh, questions for Stop, Wait, what, whatever you want to do. If you can think of an actor that you want to play uh, Charles King. Whatever you want to Xanadu. Whatever you want to yeah. Xanadu. Um, you want us to talk about the musical Xanadu? Let us know. Send us an email. It'll be really fun. We also have a YouTube channel, uh, Twisted Mug Media Network. Uh, we post fun things on there. Haven't posted something for a minute, but you know we might start doing some things in a little bit. Um, and we also, of course, have our letterboxed accounts which we were just talking about um logan runs the one for our joint combined one for the network um and you can also find all of our individual ones if you want to see uh you know what we've um what we've kind of been talking about and reviewing uh logan do you want to plug your thing as yes well? indeed i will probably be plugging this on like every podcast until christmas day but on christmas day if you watch Good Morning America on ABC, my college acapella group will be performing two songs. One of those is uh, one of my original arrangements, uh, and the other one is just an old favorite that our group has done for years and years. Um, this is going to be. Are they going to get to see your ugly mug? Is it going to be a face reveal? It will be a face reveal. You probably won't know which <laughs> one. Unless you've I am, been on the you've... Instagram. <laughs> yeah, if you've been on the Instagram, yeah. I don't know. True. Um, uh, but yeah, this it's going to be a lot of fun. We've been putting a lot of work into getting the arrangement ready, teaching people the arrangement, getting our, um, you know, voice recordings and video recordings in. And so, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Check it out. Good morning, America. Christmas morning. I'm very excited. That's so watch. cool, Logan. Congratulations on yes, that. We are um, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So uh, be sure to tune into ABC Christmas morning to see That's Logan's right. ugly mug. I don't know and how early to tune be, in. Recorded. We'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll all be there. It yeah. uh, doesn't matter. And if not, DVR it. And then you can just go back and pick out which one Logan is after you search our Instagram for who lo what Logan looks like. <laughs> um, so make sure to check that it's out. And make there. sure to check out all of our podcasts between it now and Christmas Day. We have a lot coming up. So uh, thank you so much for listening to all this, guys. This was such a fun podcast to do. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Brendan. I'm Matthew. And I'm Logan. And we'll talk to you next time, guys. See ya. Bye. Rosebud. I think I'm just stalling because I'm nervous about. We've this. been talking for three fucking it's minutes fine. already. I know. Let's, Go let's ahead. Just get started. It's All not right. like it's a big movie or anything. Is it not? Starting strong. Okay. Oh my god. I have to piss.